Jesus took 12 teenagers and turned them into 12 disciples and apostles that changed the world. Now today, we're afraid to send our teenagers to public school. Just think about that for a second. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Things You Don't Hear in Church podcast. My name is Ethan. And my name is Derry. And today we've got a really cool guest. His name is The Bearded Disciple on all social media platforms. He's on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram. He's got his own podcast. Super cool guy. I've loved his content. Me and Ethan have both loved his content for a while. Um, And today he's coming on the show to talk to us about discipleship, how the church has done discipleship, if we failed, how we can do better, stuff like that. Um, to let you know a little bit more about his content, he does a lot of apologetics-focused content. Really awesome. We've seen some really great stuff about Mormonism, politics in general, a lot of different worldview stuff. We've really enjoyed it. Go check him out on all of those different social media platforms. Again, his name is Bearded Disciple or The Bearded Disciple. Uh, pretty easy to find. His like his little emblem is just like a, a bearded disciple, bald guy. Pretty pretty hard to miss. He's awesome. Um, at this point, we're just trying to get a lot of carbon copies of Ethan and try to have all of the different bearded bald guys on our podcast. Uh, it's been a good time. And so I'm sure we're going to have an awesome discussion um, today. Uh, he's also been a Bible teacher in the past, and I'm, he still is now. But um, he currently works for an apologetic campus ministry called um, Ratio Christi if I said that right, I'm not sure, in Colorado. Um, he's also been a part of the World Race, so he's got some cool credentials, and I'm sure a lot of uh, varied experience. And yeah, we're excited to talk to him. How you doing? Doing great. Doing a good job. Anything you want to add there? Um, yeah, I guess one thing I failed to mention was, so uh, as far as my even training, uh, I went to a one-year Bible school in England with Whoa. a program called Torchbearers. Um, oh, I know Torchbearers. I, yeah. yeah fantastic program for a gap year um i'm actually looking to get involved with the one there's another torchbearers not far from me um called ravencrest that i'm hoping mm. to get involved with here um and then i went to seminary school and got a degree in apologetics from southern evangelical seminary cool even my undergrad at colorado state was philosophy with a concentration on religion so i've mm. kind of been in this world whether it's through secular means or through Christian means for a while now. Hmm. That's awesome. Very nice. Cool. Very nice. That's a great school. We love it. Yeah. What cool. was the, um, yeah. What was your journey into apologetics and philosophy? Like, was there a crisis when you were younger of faith or was there a question that was too hard to answer? Cause I know for a lot of people who get into that, it's usually a problem they come across that they end up solving. And then from there, they just stay there and continue to answer questions. Yeah. So that was something that I think my parents did a really great job is I learned a lot of that sort of stuff from them growing up. Um, and I, it's an interesting thing to even kind of look at with my own parents, as opposed to even some of my friends that their own parents did a good job raising them, but didn't necessarily ground them in theology or apologetics as -hmm. much. Um, and seeing some of them walk away from the faith. So I, I don't think I ever really had a time that I was really questioning Christianity. Not that I didn't have my questions. I still have my questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had enough answers that it never allowed me to like completely walk away, even in the hard times of like, I think that sustained me in a lot of times when I've just not felt like I've experienced the presence of the Lord or hard mm-hmm. things are happening. Mm-hmm. And I've been able to just kind of look at it and say, I don't know where God's at right now. Mm-hmm. but I know that I've seen enough evidence to know that he exists. Yeah. And he's true. Um, you lean back on that foundation, right? Yeah. Yep. And, and part of that 
one other thing that I've gone through is a uh, summit ministries. Um, so summit ministries is this like week and a half, two week long camp down in Colorado Springs um, that essentially they give some of the, bring some of the best Christian apologists in the country. And it's for students that are in um, graduating high school or in their early years of college to really get a great apologetics foundation. And and that was the start of apologetics for me. I, my interest in doing it was a bit of being my friends walking away from the faith and hearing their objections and kind of being like, I don't think those are as strong objections as you think that they are. Right. Or even having my non-Christian friends say, I think you're crazy to believe in God because of this. And being like, I think there's actually good answers to those questions. They're good questions, hmm. but there's better answers to those than you're giving credit. Um, and right. realizing that I had something to offer to people and that, um, really got me excited. I, and I started just really, I, I love mm. teaching. And so that's where yeah. I kind of going. Wait, what was that, that, that passion a lot? Sorry. Yeah. I was gonna say, what was that university that, or that, yeah, that university ministry that you were just talking about called? I wanted to write it down so I could, my friends so are the, best, so I think it'd be valuable for him. Yeah. So, um, the ministry that's, so it's a summer camp, essentially, I don't know, camp isn't a good way of putting it either because it's so much you're, you're drinking from a fire hydrant. There's mm. so much information that you're getting. Is it's it like so, a, like a seminar almost? Yeah. In some ways it's like a two week seminar. Um, so it's called summit ministries. Um, okay. they're, they're mainly based in Springs. Um, but then they also have one that I think now is just like a couple sessions that they do in Georgia right now. And they're mm -hmm. looking to expand. We're actually, so the ministry that I work for Rashio Christie as a campus ministry, we're actually growing more in a partnership with them right now. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm part of building that of, because it's kind of like when our students finish the end of the year and we're kind of winding down because we're a campus ministry, they're just gearing up to start to get students to come during the summer. And so our cool. students that are student leaders are perfect uh, to have as their kind of camp counselors. Um, and then their camp counselors are the perfect people that we need for officers of our clubs. So it's a cool hand in hand thing that can work together there. Awesome. Yeah. That sounds like a really uh, valuable, um, really, really valuable ministry and thing to go through because as we're talking about today, which I think Derry mentioned, we're going to be discussing the um, how we've, not done a great job of discipling our young people, you know, college age or high school and younger. And then when they do leave the, the, the church to maybe go to college or they leave home to go to college, a lot of them end up falling away. I feel like that more of those ministries are almost needed so we can prevent that, you know, and, and give people serious training. And so uh, I think this is a good transition into that whole conversation of like, yeah, we do, we don't do a great job of, you know, discipling our young people and, and um, giving them the things they need. So when they leave the church that they're able to keep their head on their shoulders and, and handle all those questions. So yeah. Any thoughts on that, that you have been thinking about that you want to share? Yeah, this, this has been something that's been a lot, I think on my mind, especially um, it, it's not only discipleship, but even like how we need to do church differently in a sense, or at least focus a, a bit differently in the way that we do church discipleship as a whole, I would say. Mm. And some of that is spurred, I think, from over COVID, just starting to rethink my own experience with church and kind of had a whole nother story, but kind of had a rough time with church over COVID myself. Um, 
and in, in the end ended up somewhere else afterwards. But it made me really think of like, why am I here? What is the point of doing this whole church thing? In a lot of ways, it was realizing where I was at. I wasn't able to really use my gifts and my talents mm. um, to serve. And like, that's, I think one of the things that people in general look at church wrong is they look at church as a hotel of like, I come, I get my service, I leave my towel on the floor and let room service take care of me. Mm -hmm. But if it's a church, if this is your home, then it's your home. And and if your home, the door is broken, you fix it yourself. You don't expect room service to pick the towel off the floor. You clean mm -hmm. up yourself. And so mm -hmm. when something is wrong with your church, you need to come in there to try to be the help to fix that. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not always something that maybe you have the gift and the ability to. But I think a lot of times when you realize that something's not perfect with your church, and there will be because right. it's full of no church right. is. <laughs> but when you find something that, hey, I think we could do this differently. It's probably because you have the gift and the ability to see something that maybe other people aren't seeing. Mm. And you come in there to help fix it and so my journey was realizing i was at a place that like i saw some ways that things needed to change but i wasn't i wasn't really given the ability to really do so um and some of that ends up being an apologetic stuff but even what i wanted to almost focus on was less in apologetics as just discipleship in general of like hmm if we asked the general student or just member of a church, what is the gospel? Mm. Could they explain that? Yeah. I don't know. I honestly, like I wouldn't put a huge number on that. Mm -hmm. um, or even something that I look at, like um, looking at the apostles creed or the Nicene creed. Right. I think that explains the very basic bare bones of the Christian faith. Mm. But if I asked a random member of a church, hey, what is the Apostles' Creed? Or even if I read it to him and said, could you explain to me what that is and what that's right. saying? Could they do that? Probably mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. That's something that needs to change. You know, in some ways, it's like, um, I think, and this is partly coming from a model that in some ways I think is developed out of Billy Graham mm. of we're looking to bring converts. Hmm. Well, that's not what we're called to do. We weren't called to make converts. We're called to make disciples. Right. Those are two very different goals. And the church has been too focused on making disciples and then making a small group that you can feel at home in. And that's about as far as church goes. Hmm. But I can, I can convert and I can join an atheist church and feel at home. Like... Hmm. Finding a place that you feel comfortable and at home, that's not, the church isn't offering anything there that can't be found somewhere else mm. as far as mm -hmm. finding that. Granted, the church should be better at that than anything else is, but we should be doing so much more than that. And so here's even to bounce it to you guys. Here's a question is, what would you say a healthy disciple looks like? What are like the habits that they're doing? What is their thinking? What does a healthy disciple look like? How would you explain that? Just pop in your head what the things come to your mind. Right. Derek, you want to start off? Yeah. I think it really depends on what stage of life you're in and like what um, 
what kind of community you live in because it's gonna be different for everybody depending on that like a lot of people especially in the west don't live in a very community-centric place and so discipleship is almost impossible because they're not seeing someone consistently that's like like if you're a, a disciple of someone you're walking in my mind you're walking with them consistently and learning from them as they teach you um, like the rabbi like jesus was a rabbi right mm-hmm. and he would have his disciples and so i think for a lot of people like your question is what is discipleship i think it can it can easily be conflated with mentorship a little bit um, but you just have someone who's walking alongside you and teaching you about in our in our case the gospel the bible how to be a christian how to live this life and as the person who's being discipled goes across just has life happens goes across different instances of this happens that happens or growing or learning they're being discipled through all of these things to look more like christ um and that i think that changes very much depending on what um circumstance each person is in if that makes sense right yeah yeah and i oh go ahead okay i was just gonna say um what Derry was saying about like, you know, as a disciple, you walk with a person that's very true to the idea of a disciple, you know, like uh, the closest thing that we would have in our culture would be like an apprenticeship, you know, where you are going to study under this journeyman who's going to teach you and you're going to pretty much copy everything he's doing to do it that way. And, and in the Jewish community, back when Jesus was around, the discipleship went so far as if the, your rabbi was left-handed, you would try to do everything left-handed, you know, you'd kind of retrain your mind. And it really, I think like what Derry is kind of getting at is saying like, it, it looks different in different times of your life is true because I think no matter what you're following certain guidelines that are laid out in the Bible. And that looks different at certain times. Right. So Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments. And one of his commandments is to deny yourself and pick up your cross daily. And that looks like different things in different seasons. You know, sometimes it looks like a lot of evangelism. Maybe sometimes it looks like a lot of um, humanitarian service that the Lord calls you to, but the mindset is, okay, I don't belong to myself. I belong to Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm going to do my best to learn from Jesus. And that then requires a uh, normal habit of Bible reading, prayer and worship. Um, But yeah, just that template of like worship uh prayer bible reading and if you're and and loving god with your heart right and if you are staying there you will just naturally do the things that christians do over time and you'll get better at it like you might not evangelize now but you might do the other things and eventually you'll step into evangelism and in a couple years you'll be better at evangelism than you are now but um yeah it just looks like loving god and obeying him i would say right yeah, so this is where, to me, I think there's a little bit of like, you can't reap seeds that you haven't been sowing. Mm. So like one of one of the things that I think a, a good disciple is, is someone who is spending time in the word, who is mm. learning how to gr- glean from that. But how often is a church teaching people, here's how to read your Bible and understand the context mm-hmm. of it. Here's how right. to understand basic hermeneutics to make sure that you're you're reading your bible properly hey you, a good disciple at the right season of life you know because i agree with you there is a time and a season at times with different things in this but like things that i look out of that we should all be reaching towards and don't get, get legalistic about it because otherwise you've missed the gospel and it's holiest if you mm-hmm. become legalistic about these things but like yeah. mm-hmm. i'm i should be trying to do regular evangelism i should be trying to take care of the poor and the needy i should 
be fasting. I should be reading the word. These are all things to learn. I should know basic Christian doctrine. I should be able to defend basic Christian doctrine. Um, and we're kind of, I think oftentimes as church, just saying, well, if you get plugged in with a small group and you experience fellowship, it doesn't really matter what that small group is doing. Eventually you're going to learn doctrine. And I'm like, no, you're not. Mm. Yeah. Like, wh why would you think that they're going to learn good, solid doctrine when they're literally reading the giver for your small group book? Right. You're not <laughs> like, and I wish I could say I was throwing out a weird example, but that's real. Like that's legitimately, oh, yeah. I've for sure. heard of doing that sort of thing as a study. So like, I, what I've, I've been even thinking, and this is what I, I've even started to tell pastors that I'm encouraging, like this is, you need to change your model of doing this because there is an element of like, all right, small groups, find your place, find your people, get fellowship. That's great. But if we're not looking at it and saying, Hey, if you really want to grow in your discipleship and your, your relationship with the Lord, we have some specific small groups that are going to equip you to do that well, hmm. that we're encouraging everybody in our congregation who really wants to become a disciple in Christ to get into and to go through eventually. Almost looking at it like a curriculum of here's your 101 courses. Like everyone should go through this. This is just how to read your Bible. And we're going to teach you that. Here's a class that's just the basic Christian doctrine. And we have that class and here's one on just how to do evangelism. And you're going to go out and you're going to do evangelism because let's be honest. Like, I don't think I've known of, there's maybe one or two people that I've ever known who are just like, yeah, I never had done evangelism. I'd never gone out with anybody. And I just started doing it because yeah. I'm part of a small group. <laughs> like almost nobody. Yeah. No, mm -hmm. that's not going to happen because it's terrifying the first yeah. time. There. But if you have someone and this is mentoring is another thing you guys definitely hit on that like mentoring churches i think are always trying to make that happen unfortunately there's a level of like how do i get people to buy into this yeah. thing and hmm. that's another element that i think churches need to change is even when they create maybe some of these we got a class on doctrine we got a class hmm. on whatever we have a program for mentorship well that really especially with the way that we're doing church with such a focus on like a head pastor, unless the pastor tells people to show up and say like, Hey, I really encourage you. And this will be good instead of just join a small group and not even mention that, Hey, I really think particularly you should join the, mm -hmm. the spiritual disciplines, small group or the doctrine, small group. People are just going to do one. That's easy. Absolutely. And, and so like I've done um, apologetics, small groups all the time. And very, very often it's hard to get a lot of people to show up or I've right. even offered I'll do a class. Well, I'll tell you night and day, I, in the church that I've been attending now, um, very quickly that pastor was like, hey, would you want to do an apologetics class for this, for the church? Hmm. And I, this is not a huge church, four or 500 people that attend this church and for th three weeks leading up to it they announced it every week and then the week before i came up on stage with the pastor and did a little interview and he told everybody encouraged everybody to come up 
a church of 400 people for four weeks doing that apologetics course, we had a hundred people show up. Wow. And I think that's hugely because giant. the pastor was just like, I, I think this is things that everyone should be learning and they should be uh -huh. growing in. Uh -huh. And we encourage you to be a part of this. So the head pastor, unless he really comes behind it, instead of just saying, join a small group and every like, and I'm not saying that like everyone should be joining the, the small group that is doing spiritual disciplines and everyone should be a part of the doctrines class because yes, there's a time and there's a place, but if somebody's coming to church and they're like, I want to grow spiritually, I, I want to grow in my discipleship. Mm -hmm. And all that's being said from the pulpit is join any small group as if all of them are going to equally grow you in discipleship. Mm -hmm. That's just, it's just not true. Mm -hmm. That's right. just not. And we need yeah, to there needs acting. to be a, and there needs to be training for those small group leaders. Um, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen too much in terms of small groups in the churches I've attended. I, I, when I was younger, there was a church who did it. But I think the process of becoming a small group leader was pretty much if you were willing to host people at your house, they were like, oh, cool, you're willing, let's do it. But, right. you know, there's a lot of people in the congregation who just because you go to the same church don't believe the same thing. You know, I, I've had people say things to me at church where I kind of look at them like, wait, you believe what? You know, and I'm like, wait, we're in the same church? You know, and it's just like, it's not salvific issues, but they're, they're secondary doctrines. But still, it's like, you know, there needs to be training around those small group leaders and kind of also an emphasis put on like, hey, guys, you're a small group leader. This is a big responsibility. This is not like for the faint of heart. This is not light. This needs one commitment and time, but also like commitment to doctrine. Like you are kind of being a mini pastor or a mini like spiritual leader over that person. Right. And so then the church or the head pastor might be even more responsible for who they put in charge of their congregation. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think you're touching on a huge thing there. Like one, one pastor that I talked to and I was asking like, what do you do about the hard issues? Like the ones that people are wrestling with, whether it's a doctrinal thing or it's like in the last couple of years, people are asking like black lives matter. What do I do with that? what do I do with now? Like transgender, that's becoming a huge issue. Like those tough issues, where, where are you thinking that your church is learning that stuff? And his answer was like, well, that sort of stuff I talk about because I want to make sure that it's taken care of. Right. I'm teaching that. I'm like, okay, where are you teaching that? And he says Sunday. And I'm like, I've been in this church. You're not talking about those things on Sunday. Mm -hmm. So you need to have something. And it's, and I would say with some of those tricky, more personal issues, mm. I don't necessarily think that that should be done in, in the pulpit on Sunday morning. But if you're declaring that that's when people are learning that sort of thing, then you mm. better be doing it then mm. because mm. they're going to be learning it elsewhere from people that you haven't equipped. And mm. what you're talking about of, let's be honest, in some ways like this, I, I think our again, the way that our churches have been so focused on a head pastor or even mm -hmm. the pastors as the pastor, even in a smaller church, if somebody doesn't really have a personal relationship beyond like a church that's like 200 people, mm -hmm. if somebody comes to that church and they have a question, they're not going to the pastor. They're mm -hmm. going to the small group leader. And so if they have a question doctrinally or if they have a question about 
one of those issues that's happening these days that we're kind of all trying to navigate what's the Christian answer to. And your pastor or the other staff haven't trained your small group leaders to answer those questions. What are you doing? Because you have no idea what answers they're going to be giving to those questions. You don't know if they're equipped. The pastors in your church are not the people that are preaching on Sunday. They're not. Those aren't your pastors. Your pastors are your small group leaders. Yeah. And so if you're not equipping and training them, then why would you think that you're going to reap seeds of people that know doctrine well? Because your pastors don't know doctrine well. You haven't taught them. Interesting. So yeah. another element of that is you you probably need to put a requirement on being a small group leader. Mm-hmm. And we need to also then do more to equip those small group leaders because I've also had at times where I feel like what I hear from a church is, well, we don't want to put the bar too high. We want to get as many people involved. And again, that's getting focused on making converts or getting members, but it's not getting disciples. It's getting more butts in the pews. That's all it's doing. And your goal isn't to have more people attend your church and feel like I have a small group that I feel at home at, again, they can find an atheist church. That's a thing that they can mm-hmm. feel at home at. So what are you doing? And I don't think it's as hard as often we make it sound of like, well, then I have to teach all my small group leaders basic Christian doctrine. Um, okay, so once a month, you tell them to come for an hour and do a teaching on that, mm-hmm. on, on mm-hmm. one doctrinal issue. They'll yeah. get there. They don't have to get a seminary level education, Mm -hmm. but some basic doctrine. I could, I could explain the Trinity. I was a Bible teacher. I taught the Trinity to seventh grade students Mm -hmm. in one class and they could, and that's not an easy, easy subject, but they could explain that well enough to avoid what are typical heretical ideas (laughs) regarding the Trinity Mm -hmm. in an hour. I can teach seventh graders how to explain the Trinity in an hour. I can teach small group leaders the same thing in an hour. And for you to say, hey, this is a big deal. Like you're saying, the commitment to being a small group leader is big. And expressing, hey, if you want to be a small group leader, that means you're a pastor. And and in that, then it means you need to be willing to take some extra time to get trained. And if you're not willing to do that, then sorry. We're not going to put you as a small group leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really good because, uh, like, this is why I, t- I have a couple friends um, who are also in ministry that I've been hanging out with here. And I was even at coffee talking today with one of them. And I was just sharing, like, man, I feel like a lot of times in like how I grew up in youth group or even some churches now. Um, and not even outside of youth group in the main churches, they might say like, oh, we don't want to touch on this or we don't want to talk about that. And specifically when it comes to kids church or youth group, it's like, well, they're not ready for that. They're too young to handle that. And we don't want to discuss that because it's it's like mature content. We don't know if we want to do that. And I just think, do you think like TikTok is letting up on what they're teaching your kids because the kids can't handle yeah. it? Do you think, do you think like, like the, they're teaching CTR or CRT, CRT in, in public schools and right and they're not letting up so it's kind of like well if the if like the camp of the enemy quote unquote is pushing this heavy why are we not also like that's not how you win a war if an army brings a ten thousand troops and you only bring two thousand because 
you're like worried that 8,000 aren't ready for it. It's like, well, if you're ready for it or not, it's at the door. You got to do something about it. And you don't win by, by giving less, you know? And so I've kind of been like thinking for myself and also trying to encourage people I'm talking to, like, we have to like push harder. And that doesn't mean getting angry and shaming people who disagree. That doesn't mean like totally rejecting people who are like, and, and like, yeah, like lashing out on people who disagree. It just means like, Hey, these are things that are being taught. Here's what the world is saying. Here's the biblical response. Make sure you're still loving them when you're talking to them. Right. But I mean, even that, that's, that's another thing to train people in. Like mm-hmm. how do, and that's something that's lost in our culture today is like, how do I have a meaningful conversation and loving manner with somebody that disagrees with me? Mm-hmm. We can teach them that. Like there's a whole, the book that I probably recommend to people more than any other book out there is a book called Tactics, Tactics. by Great. I knew it. Hey, yeah. I have all like, our students read that in the, in the school I run. Good. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. You, wait, I'm just realizing you guys said you're with YWAM. Yeah. Yeah. You guys know Josh Miller? Sounds really familiar. Because he just, last year he did an apologetics um, thing with YWAM and brought a team out here to Colorado State. Oh, cool. Was it, was he out of Kona, Hawaii? Yeah. We probably yeah. know the same people then because I have a friend who did the apologetics school as well. Got it. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, I, and it's just like teaching people that I was talking with a student today. So we've been doing a lot of boothing for our campus ministry. It's the start of the school year and everything. Mm. And like, one of the things is teaching people. One of the sayings is Rashi Christie that we say all the time is we're not here to win arguments. We're here to win souls, mm. which is lost. Like, and it's, and it's hard a lot of times, especially when somebody does know apologetics well, like, and I've fallen in it myself at times that like, you do want to win the argument and you look at what they're saying and you're like, this is super stupid what you're saying. <laughs> and like, you do, you just, you just want to just destroy what they're saying. Cause, right. and you feel like you can, and you yeah. may very well be able to, but like to not look at the person that you're talking with as the enemy. And I even always like show people like, I can look at it of I'm trying to argue with you and it's this me versus you thing, or I can stand next to you looking at what we're trying to figure out and we're mm-hmm. trying to figure this out together. That's and a that great, should, that's a great perspective. Yeah. And, and if you can do that in conversation and show people like, Hey, I'm willing to like, I could be wrong about this. I'm not convinced I am. If you have some evidence otherwise, then all of a sudden it's, you're willing to like show them, interested or or another big thing that i think is huge in conversation with people is as much as possible when you find common ground with someone mm-hmm. acknowledge that you know the organization that i have gotten the best training about talking about abortion which is probably the most heated heated subject ever like right. you can say one wrong thing and the conversation's mm-hmm. just done and yeah, somebody will come mm-hmm. and but I've gone to these fantastic trainings with one organization and like, it seems like all the time they're just like common ground, common ground, common ground. Do you agree with them on this? Do you agree with them on that? Acknowledge that, verbalize that, say that to them. Don't just realize, yeah, actually some of what you're saying, I agree with. Say that you agree with them on those things. People are going to be more willing to hear what you have to say in that. Mm -hmm. But all of that sort of dialogue, that sort of thing, learning how to have disagreements with someone mm-hmm. in a mature way, that's another thing the church should be equipping people in. Mm. 
Yeah. But we're not. When it comes to uh, discipleship, I think there's a really interesting aspect of it where I think there are certain different kinds of churches or church styles that may be more conducive to like good discipleship than other mm-hmm. kinds of churches. Um, you've got like, I'm not saying like ranked best to worst or anything. I'm just saying there's a whole bunch of different kinds of churches, like those seeker friendly churches, even between different denominations, you have different levels of involvement of people using their gifts and stuff right. like that. Right. Um, so do you think that there is a model of church that's more conducive to people being able to be discipled? And you kind of have these different levels of discipleship too, that we were talking right. about where like, and in a way you can be discipled from the pulpit. And then there's also all these like little pastors that are in small groups that are discipling people. And there's like the one-on-one mentorship kind of discipleship. Do you think that there's um, a conducive way for a church to do discipleship based off of their model of church? There's a better one or a worse one. Do you have any ideas, any thoughts about that? Um, I don't know. Like that's contentious. Yeah. It's there. There's a lot to play into that. I, I tend to like, um, you know, it's an interesting thing. I've been, growing up very much in seeker friendly churches mm-hmm. um i don't really have any problem with that but i think yeah. what, what i get frustrated what i've just kind of almost snapped with because in in a lot of ways over this experience of like changing churches was almost probably the you know as you guys asked if i ever had like a big crisis of faith i would say that has been the closest that i've had to a crisis of faith Mm-hmm. leaving the church that I was at realizing my I wasn't able to do the discipleship that I wanted to that I was seeing here's mm-hmm. this seeker friendly church again no problem with that real discipleship really isn't happening here mm-hmm. and I'm not able to come in to help fix that um, and so t- to me it's more of just like I, I don't think necessarily I would say especially when it comes to those hot topics, I would advise that that should happen from the pulpit on a Sunday. Hmm. I think those conversations are just too personal to not be hashed out in a more personal setting. Hmm. And so in that, what should be happening is training people to have those conversations that are the small group leaders or whatever, or anybody that's willing, but at least at the minimum, you're saying, if you're a small group leader, you have to come to this training or you're not going to be qualified in our church to be a small group leader. Mm -hmm. And if that means you don't have as many small groups, then you don't have as many small groups because you're going to make sure that people are trained in the areas that they need. So Mm -hmm. I think when it comes to the personal things, it should happen there. I think too often, but then there's other things like the Trinity. When's the last time you heard anybody from the pulpit just to give a brief explanation of what we understand the Trinity to be. Just, Honestly, just 10 years ago. I don't know what? if I ever have. Maybe right. 10 years ago or something yeah. like that. Like, and yeah. I'm not saying like you even spend five minutes, even just saying like, we believe in the Trinity. That means that God is three persons in one being. Mm-hmm. Even that. I that sometimes. Well, I go to our okay. church. On Sunday, <laughs> last Sunday, yeah. Okay. So like, yeah, but like that, that sort of thing needs to happen more. Expand yeah. A little bit more absolutely you know those sort of things because that's not gonna offend anybody for you to explain mm. that sort of thing yeah anything that's not an offensive issue i think that is something that you could very much give from the pulpit mm. um but when it starts to become anything that could be offensive that could be personal then that should be something that should be hashed out more one-on-one and it should be something that people are who are in positions of leadership anywhere from a small group leader to the head pastor 
should be getting some really good training on how to do it. Mm-hmm. Do you uh, think that those issues should at least be stated from the pulpit on where the church stands, like by the pastor, like as a corporate, like, Hey, this is this cultural moments happening. We just want to give mm-hmm. you an understanding and overview of where we're at. And your small group leaders mm-hmm. are going to be talking about that this week more in detail, but just from a, like a 30,000 foot view, this is what we believe about it. Um, I think I tend to lean, I'm not, I'm not hundred percent of where I stand with that. I think I tend to lean, gosh, this is tough there. In some ways I tend to lean towards if it's not a salvation, salvation issue, then the first thing I want to do is get people to accept Christ Hmm. and then dealing with whether or not you agree with our position on homosexuality or abortion mm-hmm. is something that we can hash out after you've accepted Christ. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. But, but there is an element of like, when there's a time that like, you need to be calling the church to action mm-hmm. over something that I think we do need to say something. So there's a level of like, let's, let's talk about abortion when when you're in a state that is about to have a a vote on whether or not to legalize abortion or mm-hmm. to make it illegal there's some element that like i think the church because the church the best thing in some ways what it is is we're always doing what is the most loving thing for as many people as possible and i know in some ways that sounds somewhat hedonistic um but it's like okay i i realize that by a church deciding to talk about abortion when there's about to be a vote about it there might be somebody in the congregation that is offended and hurt by that and i don't want that i want to be able to talk to that person Mm. to empathize with them to find a common ground with them Mm. but at the same time there's lives at stake in this situation Mm. And if my, some of my congregation voting against something or voting for something is going to save lives, that's more important saving lives than someone being hurt mm-hmm. in that moment. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard, I think, for me to give a hard and fast, only talk about doctrinal issues that won't offend anybody, period, mm-hmm. from the pulpit. Mm-hmm. I think you have to think it through and... Mm-hmm work those things out a little bit more i totally get where you're coming from though where you want to have that personal conversation with someone so having addressing those topics in a smaller group or even one-on-one can deal with all the interpersonal like here's why we believe this what do you think about that kind of conversations whereas someone could just be offended or disagree with you on the pulpit and then never talk to anyone about it and never come back or something like that I totally get what and you're and from, I think that. that's some of the reason for the training, though, too, is like, let's say it is one of those situations where I, I would say it is right for them to that talk a little bit about it from the pulpit for a church to be able to say, and we want to talk to you about this because we understand this is not completely black and white, um, but we would like to, if this has hurt you, what we've just shared, if you disagree with us and what mm. we've just shared, let's talk. We want to listen first to what you have to say. Um, and we want to be willing to, you know, that's where, again, like emphasizing the, 
I'm side by side with you rather than against you. Mm. Um, we want to hear what you have to say. And, and if we're wrong in some of the ways that we're talking about this, we want to be open to that. But we feel strongly that this is the biblical view on this issue. Mm. That's great. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, cool. Um, I think there's another interesting aspect of discipleship where I, I've... I, we kind of exist in a realm of like we have a lot of friends who are pastors we have a lot of friends that are not pastors and go to church and we have a lot of people that are friends that are just kind of in between kind of parachurch ministries yeah. kind of place and i hear i hear both sides of discipleship from a lot of people um one side will be people being like where where's like this person that could disciple me like i want to be discipled i want to be mentored like my church i feel like isn't doing a good job like how do i find good discipleship and then i also hear from pastors on the other side of like where are the people I want to discipleship, like I want to disciple, like no one wants to be discipled, like no one's coming to this group I'm doing, or no one wants to be individually discipled. And I feel like there's some kind of disconnect there. Mm -hmm. One question, I guess it's kind of a two-part question. One, which side needs to be doing the pursuing more often? Do you think is the person, the individual that should be doing the pursuing to get discipled or the church pursuing the people to disciple them? I think that's interesting. And then how do we, how do we kind of go about bridging that gap? I guess, I know it's, it's such a multifaceted complicated question, but you have yeah, an idea. No, that's, that's a fantastic question. I think, you know, in some ways, like the mentoring thing is an interesting part. Like, cause I do think that's a, a key to discipleship, but at the same time, like part of what you're doing in discipling someone is trying to get it to a point that they're not dependent on you. Yeah, absolutely. Like, so oddly enough, like part of what you're doing as discipling someone is getting them to the point that they don't need you to spoon feed them learning scripture mm. or whatever else there. At least at a really basic level, right? Right. You know, um, as far as who needs to do the pursuing, um, it has to be both in a sense. Like, I don't know if you can really say which one's more important because there's level of like, and I've seen that in the sense of when I've done, you know, a small group, I try to do a small group on like, here's basic, I'm going to do a basic doctrine, small group at a big church. This is a church that's like 6,000 people. Wow. And I had three people show up. Well, you know, so <laughs> very different than this other church that I was just telling you about doing an apologetics thing. And literally a fourth of the congregation showed up like complete right. opposite yeah so there's a level of like it takes people being interested because i can't force people to listen they have to be willing to actually see that and that's that's part of you know um i was talking with you guys before we started the program of like we did a talk for rosio christi yesterday and it was getting people to realize you should want Christianity to be true. And that part of the purpose of that is moving people. So many people are in an apathy now. Hmm. So many people is just like, I don't really care. Right. And so how do we get people to realize like, hey, whether Jesus is a Trinity or not is actually a big deal. Like it changes yeah. how you live your life. Right. Enough that like you should be able to understand this and defend it. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of this, one thing that I've realized more and more is, especially when it comes to apologetics, and it's hard not to start doing apologetics and also start getting into doctrine. Hmm. Almost impossible. But on a similar <laughs> route, like if you're doing apologetics, you're going to do doctrine. Right. 
if you're doing evangelism, you're going to do apologetics. Mm -hmm. The reason why people aren't doing doctrine or apologetics is because they're not doing evangelism. Mm -hmm. They're not actually going and they're trying to reach their neighbors for Christ. Mm -hmm. People aren't going and, and having conversations. Too many people are taking that wrongly attributed quote of of francis of assisi saying mm -hmm. um, <laughs> share the gospel and when yep. necessary use yep. words he yep. never said yeah. that but everyone says that he did that quote's horrible right because let's be honest when was the last time you had somebody that you asked hey so how did you come to the lord well i came to the lord because i had a neighbor that mowed my lawn in the summer and shoveled my driveway in the winter they don't because sooner or later, at the very least, even in that situation, someone has to ask you right. at the very least, why are you like this? Mm -hmm. Why are you different? So when is the gospel, when is it necessary you words use words to share the gospel? Every single <laughs> Every time. time. Yeah. There is a time yeah. that it's not necessary. And so, and then, well, then what's the gospel? Well, now guess what you're doing? <laughs> you're doing doctrine. Right. Like, mm -hmm. or, or I like to laugh of like one, one thing that I saw one of my coworkers post just today, I think it even was, was like, when somebody just says, I don't need all this theology stuff. I think I just need Jesus. Ask them who Jesus is. And <laughs> yeah. as soon as they start giving you an answer, then you tell them now you're doing, you're, you're doing doctrine. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Like, yeah. you can't, it's on a view. It's unavoidable, but the reason why people aren't doing that is because, frankly, they're not doing evangelism. They're not mm -hmm. reaching out to people. They haven't bought in. They maybe haven't bought in themselves to the this whole Christian thing mm -hmm. is wholly unique and necessary and more important and better than anything else has to offer. Mm. Yeah, if I think have, okay. share that. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting too, because you said if you're doing evangelism, you're going to use doctrine and apologetics. And then if you happen right. to use apologetics, you're going to be doing doctrine. And, you know, if you're doing apologetics, you're probably evangelizing. And you said part of the reason people don't do apologetics is because they don't evangelize. I would wonder also, because I know my experience with evangelism was I, I kind of did it here and there at, at my work environment before I, I joined full-time ministry. Like I would just talk to coworkers and because I was a Christian and I, they would just ask about my life. I'd just be like, Oh yeah, it's just part of what my, I do, you know? And I had a lot of good conversations, but I didn't go out and like try to talk to people one. Cause I didn't realize people did that. Like I, and no, I grew up in more of a prosperity word of faith type thing. So I didn't know like going out and like, I didn't know about the, um, apostles created the nicene creed until i was in like my 20s and i was like this is a thing we have this is awesome why was i never told that <laughs> you right. know but but super once i super typical yeah. yeah but once i learned what apologetics was and once i learned how to do evangelism i got way more confident in my evangelism and excited when right. i learned about apologetics and was trained in apologetics so i think mm. part of the reason that people don't evangelize one outside of it being scary and uncomfortable is it's scary and uncomfortable because people don't have confidence and they don't have confidence because they don't have knowledge. You know, like anything right. is scary if you don't know how to do it. Like I, I have yeah. a welding background when I didn't know how to weld welding was scary. I didn't know anything about it. All those machines, the right. heavy metal, it's hot. But once you learn, you're like, Oh, this is, this is hot glue gun. This is anyone can do this. You know, this is easy. Right. And so it, it's that same idea where, 
people will be more confident and thus hopefully do it when they're properly trained in apologetics and doctrine. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. Cause I think it's, it's pretty rare that you meet the guy who comes to the Lord and gets super excited and just starts going out and doing evangelism and barely knows any apologetics or doctrine. Cause they're just like, I'm so stoked. I want to share. There's right. those people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm not one of those people, which <laughs> surprises most people because I do evangelism probably like, I don't know, eight to 10 hours a week, every week nice. during school, you know, still so like, people see me as the guy who's willing to go and talk with anybody and everybody. But even my approach of doing evangelism is kind of an approach that allows people to come and talk to me. I don't mm -hmm. necessarily like starting conversations. Once the conversation's going, I'm game. Right. But I would have mm -hmm. never been that person that was like, let's go out. I'm going to just start a conversation with somebody. I feel equipped once the conversation's mm -hmm. going. And mm -hmm. so that's why I don't have a fear of it. But you're right. There's absolutely, I think most people part of the huge fear isn't just, I don't want to talk to a stranger. It's they're going to ask me a question and I'm not going to know the answer. Mm -hmm. And part of the training, I think includes a little bit of like saying, Hey, don't worry. Like, uh, we think too highly of ourselves. I think a lot <laughs> when we go out and do evangelism and think I'm going to say something wrong. And that person is going to go to hell because <laughs> I said the wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Wow, man. You think way too highly of yourself. That, like, <laughs> God's up there and he's like, dang, Ethan, dude, I can't believe he said that to that that guy. He totally would have accepted me, but yeah. Ethan said that. And now that yeah. person's not going to heaven. You think way too highly of yourself to think <laughs> that. And to realize it's learning, just like anything else. You go out there, somebody asks you a question you don't know to. You know, it's a great thing to say. I don't know. Mm -hmm. You're mm -hmm. not going to lose people's respect by saying, I don't know. Yeah. That's totally a valid answer. I respect you more. And then, yeah. They'll yeah. like you more. They'll be more interested. In fact, when I was at, at CSU studying for my undergrad, so I was a philosophy major with the concentration on religion mm. here at a secular school. And I, I wouldn't say that CSU was not like God's night dead, like crazy <laughs> or after me or whatever but i had most of my professors were atheists so when we talk about the arguments for the existence of god they were better suited to answer that give their reasons that they didn't believe god existed mm. fine but i found in that class what was an interesting thing that i learned during those classes was there was times that even though they gave something that was challenging christianity a lot of times i replied and sometimes I didn't, and it wasn't even necessarily because I didn't even have the answer. Sometimes I even felt like I could refute what he just said in a heartbeat, mm -hmm. but, but I didn't say anything. And what was interesting is when I would leave that class, a lot of times then my peers were like, so what are your thoughts? It was almost like I intrigued them more to have my answer because I wasn't so, I just got to answer. I got to rebuttal every single mm -hmm. thing that somebody ever says about Christianity and I'm going to make up something if I don't have an answer. They were more interested in what I had to say then. Hmm. And so mm -hmm. don't be afraid of not saying anything. You don't have to defend Jesus in every sort of situation. He can defend hmm. himself. We are called to go and make a defense. That's what we see as the approach to evangelism. You know, one, one thing that I point out with people is too often, again, to go back to the bad 
Francis of Assisi quote, like people think it's relationship, build relationship, and then you can share the gospel with people. I don't see that as the biblical way of doing evangelism. If you read Acts and you just highlight every time that it says he reasoned, he debated, he argued, he persuaded, talking about Paul, it seems like his method of evangelism is apologetics. He shares the gospel, and if they disagree with him, then he argues with them lovingly, but he argues with them. Yeah. But that's not how the church thinks of evangelism. And so all of that to say, like, then if you're afraid of going out and doing evangelism, just be willing to go out. It's so much about just being willing. And if they ask something you don't know, say you don't know, go home and research it. So the next time somebody asks you that question or next time you see that person, you now have an answer to that question. Mm -hmm. And you'll learn the answers to the questions that come up. And when you learn the basics of apologetics, you'll find that like 90% of the people you interact with, that's all they need. Right. It's mm-hmm. very rare that you get a question that you're like, I've never heard this before. Right. You'll get it. It's always time. divine hiddenness, the problem of evil, right? something like that. Like pretty basic. Right. Yeah. It's usually those things. Right. Yeah. And my favorite thing I think I've learned through doing evangelism and also studying like that one book tactics that we mentioned earlier, right. They talk a lot about asking questions and like, what do you mean by that? Or like, why? Like just asking questions when people make statements helps you one, get a better understanding of their worldview. But once you practice this enough, you can ask questions in a way where you can, you'll ask a question, you'll pin their answer up there. Cause then you ask another question. Maybe it doesn't, their answer to now doesn't make sense with what they just said. And you can kind of be like, hey, man, earlier you said this and now you're saying this. These don't really work together. Like, I'm just confused. Can you explain that? And when you ask questions and take interest in people, naturally, people are more excited to talk because people like talking about Mm -hmm. themselves. Like, it's in our nature to want to talk about ourselves. So if you ask someone something about them and their worldview and they're like, that you're not being a jerk about it or they don't feel like they're a project, they actually feel like you see them as an individual they're more than often going to be willing to answer and continue the conversation. And so if you can just keep that like respect for them going and just continue to ask Mm -hmm. questions and then share your belief in a non-threatening way of like, Oh, that's really interesting. I haven't heard that before, but this is what I think about that subject. And then you ask like, what do you think about that? Then you're able to like share the gospel by asking questions. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to say something, Derek. I was changing the subject. Oh, I was just going to comment. Um, I do. I sometimes do like to do cold opens. Like you said, you don't like to walk up to people and start conversations. Mm-hmm. I sometimes do if I can find a good one. Like when Derry and I were in California, everyone we would talk to, like, you want to talk about spirituality? 90% of people said yes. And we'd have a, a great conversation. It was amazing. Right. In Michigan, right. no one wants to talk about spirituality. I ask people in Michigan, like, do you want to talk about spirituality? Everyone's like, no. I'm like, okay, that's awkward. Um, right. And so what, what I like to do in Hawaii sometimes is walk around and tell people like, Hey, I want to answer your hardest questions about God. Do you have any? And I just try to like challenge them because they would be like, huh. Now, when I first started being doing evangelism, would never have done that. And then now it's yeah. been a couple of years. Yeah. I don't Terrifying. think I have all the answers at all. But now I have the understanding of like you were just talking about where I can say, I don't know. You know, I have the ability and or I don't know, ability, confidence to say, I don't know. I think that's more a better mm-hmm. statement where it's like, that's a good question. I don't know. But kind of giving them a challenge makes them, I feel like intrigued about it. Cause they're like, Oh, now, now it's a little competition. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. I'm gonna steal that. We might use that as a whiteboard. <laughs> Do Absolutely. it. Yeah. I went up to a That's whole funny. like group of like a frat one time in Hawaii, and I was like, "What's yeah. up, guys? How you doing? What's your hardest questions?" And then they all pointed at their friend, like, "Oh, you want to talk to him?" And they all like singled out this one guy, and we had a good little conversation. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've done like a sign that'll say give us your hardest question against Christianity or objection against Christianity. And mm. we've had some good, good discussions with people that way. And so, yeah, those are great cool. conversations. We live in such like a, it's kind of cliche to say modern times, but the technological era, right. And things are changing very rapidly. Right. Does, does discipleship need to change along with it? And what, what, part does technology mm. play in how we do discipleship because clearly it plays some part in it right because i think lots of people are discipled by your videos or else you wouldn't call yourself the beardable right <laughs> it's a, a lot of the point of like you making that kind of content is to educate people and i think a lot of people are discipled by online personalities now right. um, so what part do you think technology and people like us have to play in the discipleship of people right. i i think you know that is one of the coolest things about it i think it's um, the opportunity that somebody does have of like, I do want to learn doctrine and my church isn't teaching it. So I can jump online and I can find some great teachers yeah. about it. That's also the terrifying thing about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're also going to find some horrible teachers that sound oh, yeah. really great. Um, and so I think that's where it's like we were talking about TikTok's not waiting <laughs> for your students to feel comfortable to talk about a certain subject they're just mm-hmm. going to throw it in their face and so that's why i think we have a responsibility to try to get out there and get content out there and get good content out there like mm-hmm. that's where so i reference god's not dead and i get so annoyed when people are like oh you're an apologist you must love god's not dead <laughs> <laughs> and i like I i don't know i almost I like want to puke in that moment i don't know how else to express it <laughs> Like that might be, and I even like, um, here's just a weird random fact about me. If I wasn't in ministry, I think I would have gone into acting, but, Mm. um, that's that, that movie, the acting so horrible, the plot, so horrible. Yeah. The script, everything about it is just horrendous. And so like, (laughs) yeah. Um, yeah. And even people give it that pass of like, well, it's a Christian movie. Like I like it because it's a Christian movie. And I'm like, we can do better. Um, And in that same sort of vein, like that's what I want to do. That's what I'm trying to do with my YouTube and other content. Like in a lot of ways, it's funny. I think with my YouTube stuff, especially I got started because I found a channel that was done by some Mormons that Mm. was just really well done. Um, and they're still doing stuff here and there, um, or quite frequently. And I still like, they're still almost like that standard and bar that I'm trying to reach because they've grown so much. Now they've got like a graphics team and all their stuff Mm -hmm. just looks super professional. Um, and we just need to produce like that. We need to put stuff together. That's more like the chosen, like, yeah, man, that's been a breath of fresh air to have, yeah. uh, show that it's like wow this is actually really well done and yes that means you're going to take some artistic liberties when you're doing something that's reenacting parts of the bible that's okay like yeah it gets way off doctrinally 
then we can have another conversation but like creating that i think is important um but ultimately the church needs to not rely upon that the church needs to be doing the responsibility of doing discipleship the family needs to be redoing the responsibility mm. of discipleship mm. there's also an element that like Families have become dependent on youth pastors right. to mm-hmm. do the discipleship that they should be doing with their own kids. That needs to change. Um, and you can utilize when you find that good content, you can utilize some of the best stuff out there. Like, have you guys run across Lutheran satire at all? No. no. Where are they? Um, Lutheran satire is a YouTube channel. And I, I would argue in some ways, I think it's the best Christian apologetics YouTube channel out there huh. Okay, because it is hilarious. Like when you look at it, you'll, as far as the production value, it's the graphics are horrendous, but that's almost kind of the gimmick. <laughs> it's kind of almost got like a South Park thing going in that sort of hmm. element. Oh, cool. He literally has like clip art that he adds mouths to that are like flash motion to it. Um, and that's how he does it. But like, he's got one video in particular, um, that's bad. It's called bad analogies and it's about the Trinity and it's basically exposing Mm. all the bad analogies that people use for the Trinity. And the whole dialogue is these two Irish guys, Irish peasants talking with St. Patrick Mm. and, um, they just humorously essentially are mocking St. Patrick as he gives bad analogies for the Trinity. And when I was a Bible teacher, I showed this to them and, um, the humor of it just had the kids rolling. Like they loved it. And when I came around to doing my test on the Trinity, like, and we were reviewing for it, I would even be like, you know, we, we were doing a review game and I'd give an analogy, I'd give an analogy and say, all right, which heresy is this? And the kids literally are just quoting lutheran satire back nice cool wow that's the sort of thing that we need to be producing and because in a lot of ways like what culture used to be this is even probably a a way to think of it is culture used to be oral you know Mm. people in jesus's time a nine-year-old had pretty much the torah memorized a nine-year-old boy would have the night the torah memorized the first five books of the bible Mm -hmm. because that's the culture we're in well now if i go to a student they can sing to me something from frozen or they can quote a bunch of lines from nacho libre or whatever else because it's hilarious and quotable if we can put doctrine into that sort of thing that it sticks with them in that way, which mm-hmm. is especially that Lutheran satire video in particular does mm-hmm. that and well that like all of a sudden it's going to be memorized because I'm remembering how exactly that Irish peasant hmm. explained the false heresy of modalism. Hmm. Right. Like, yeah. That's doctrine in a way that people are going to keep it. Mm-hmm. That's the would the seventh graders call it modalism? Like they would know that term. So that, I think I showed that to my seventh graders, even though we weren't doing doctrine in that with them. Okay. Um, but, but my ninth grade class was a ninth grade doctrines class. And we talked about the Trinity, we talked about the Trinity and yes, they would say, mo- that's mo- like 
I'll quote the whole thing for you. That's modalism, Patrick. That's a heresy that was proclaimed as a heresy back in 400 AD by the Athanasian Creed. They would quote that back to me. Wow. So not only are they quoting what heresy it is, they're quoting what creed we knew established that it was a heresy and what year it came from because of that video. That's amazing. This is why we need to bring back adult veggie tales. Have them do this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's essentially what that I think Lutheran satire is probably yeah. feeling that because it's because it is more adult humor. Mm. You know, it's mm. the sarcasm, it's satire, you know. Right. Uh, that's his most popular video. I'm, I'm on his channel right now. It's got almost two million views. Yeah. Pretty good. And, and I'm sure that's because people like me are like showing it to students all the time you know yeah i would i would end a few classes sometimes that would be like we got five minutes left what do you guys want to do they're like let's watch a lutheran satire and we'd end class with one of those you know nice. awesome so yeah sweet cool you have any more questions ethan or we can go on our last question yeah let's do the last one cool so we ask all of our guests on the end of the show this uh funny little question and here's the question. If you were in a gladiator arena, like the Christians back in the old days in Rome, yeah. right? And you're locked in there fighting for your life. Who do you fight? Which celebrity do you kill? <laughs> no. You're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're fighting a predator. You get to choose the predator um, and you get to choose your melee weapon. What is the largest predator or most dangerous predator you think you could defeat with any melee weapon of your choice, non-futuristic and not like motorized. So like spears, swords, javelins, maces, stuff like that. What do you think is the largest predator you could defend yourself to the death against? So you could get beat up. You can get, you lose a lot of blood, but you're going to be alive. The predator is going to be dead at the end of it. We have gotten a wide array of answers for this. So anything goes. Got it. Yeah. And you can take some time. I think Ethan usually says like a, um, a dagger and a hyena or something like that. Yeah. And I, I usually go dagger with, to um, short sword. Like, mm, mm. I usually say some kind of like spear kind of thing at a distance. And I go with like a big cat, like a mountain lion or something like that. Got Way it. too confident. Yeah. But we've had some people say like bears before. That was the last <laughs> person from Colorado said bears. Yeah, yeah. 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 When we're com- I mean, it depends on what the type of bear is. That's true. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I can do I it. Can yeah. They they chose the biggest bear. Oh, they're doing like a polar bear? Yeah, you're done uh, with a polar bear. I don't know. No, yeah, you're done. done. Yeah. Well, we've had people choose mice before too. They should have a lot of confidence. <laughs> not not real confident huh no okay um i feel like i would probably say like a mountain lion nice. um and Solid. i'd probably wow. still go with like the short sword because it's like if i miss with like a lot like i've always been a braveheart fan so i want to say mm. like a giant scottish claymore but if i miss it's oh, over yeah. yeah yeah so a short sword i think is the better way to go in that sense cool. um so probably something like a mountain lion. Did you guys ever hear the story about the guy out here that choked out a mountain lion? I thought it was sense. fake. Is that real? It's totally real. Yeah. No way. One of my friends, it was her coworker. Whoa. Um, a real thing. Granted, so it wasn't a full-grown mountain lion. Mm-hmm. And it was also like part of the reason that it probably attacked him is because it was not, didn't have much food. Like 
Mm. Animals like that, generally the only time they're going to attack a human is because that's the only thing they see available. Right. Crazy. Do you know how that person did it? Like how they took him out from like the back or the front? Well, they got him Um, in the guard and then they put a triangle in there. (laughs) So essentially like he fell, I think when it charged him, he fell on his back and then he was holding just with his arms and then wow. and it, and his arms were long enough that he was able to keep it from being able to scratch him Whoa. or like his face or whatever um that way but then when he realized it wasn't going to let up he's like i gotta go for the throat and choke it out and kill it and that's oh he adjusted his grip and got it got its jugular that's did crazy. he roll over or did he choke it while it was on top of him? Uh, i'm not sure as far as how that that part Man, of it went down. if that happened to me wow. i'd probably feel pretty unstoppable i'd be that choked out of my own land <laughs> i can do anything what's, what's crazy is some people got mad at him and sh- said that like he should have <laughs> let them let it kill him crazy and those people shouldn't be allowed to vote <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> here's here's a question you guys could throw out there one of my friends asked me this recently is if you were the president what like three things would you declare as like a mm-hmm. um, presidential declaration right one to to go to your point of like those people shouldn't be allowed to vote one of my things is there should be like a common sense law mm. and so if you just break common sense because you decided to use your mower as a hedge trimmer and messed up right. your hand like you shouldn't be able to sue craftsmen i'm sorry that one's on you. <laughs> uh, um, but, yes yeah that'd be great that's awesome <laughs> Yeah, I'd probably cool. take uh, government out of school and funding. Yeah. Everything would be a lot more affordable. The voucher system, as far as that's concerned. The what system? The voucher system. So so instead of the government telling you where your tax money is going for your taxes, um, everyone that has a kid is given a voucher that represents a certain amount of money. And then they take that money to whatever school they want to take their kids to. Oh, interesting. That'd be nice. I'd make everything open source. Right. So, so you can see where everything's going. You still get government funding things. So schools aren't like private and crazy expensive, mm-hmm. but then schools get determined based upon what the parents actually want. So you can fund your, your private Christian school with tax money. Hmm. I'd also allow people to choose what ta- where the taxes go. You'd just see right. you'd see the, where the, what, what's important to the people and what's not. Right. I think the lottery then, because it doesn't lottery isn't lottery funded by a little bit of taxes. Is that correct? Or people buy into it? And um, I don't know if it's lottery. I forget how it's funded, but I know the government's somehow part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not. But I feel sure like that. a lot of things would finally get resolved. It'd be like, oh, like we wouldn't have potholes everywhere because they'd be like. Oh, my taxes? Yeah, I'm going to put them in my city to go here. Right. And then everyone who's super compassionate can like put it all the... I feel like it'd, be, it'd do a lot of good, but I'm yeah. not a political... I'm not very smart when it comes to politics just because I haven't studied yeah. too much. I haven't... <laughs> right. There's probably a bunch of reasons why that wouldn't work. That's, that's another podcast for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Right on. We can get the, the bearded politician on for that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. right. Well, it's been awesome talking to you, man. Um, Anytime you want to come back on again. For everybody that's listening, you can find The Bearded Disciple pretty much everywhere. 
Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all over those places. He's got great content all over the place. Um, yeah, we've really enjoyed this podcast. Again, like I said, anytime you want to come back on, we'd love to have you. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. It was good talking with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Have a good week.